Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, with Pastor John King. Thank you, Pastor John. It's good to see your ears and, and hear your face this morning. Wow. Ah, you saw what I did there, didn't you? I saw what you did there, you wise guy. Just trying to break the ice, because we're going to talk more about family stuff today. We're in the family the family of God today. And so we start chapter four, or excuse me, six. You thought we were going to go back to chapter four, didn't you? Oh no, he doesn't know what chapter he's in. Great, I'm never coming back. Um, now here we are in chapter six, verses one through four. As we begin to end our study in Ephesians, you and I, we've been focused on the command for you and I to be controlled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because this enables us to walk in harmony with one another. You know, we talk about how we rub each other together, right? And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, the oil of the Holy Spirit goes between those heavenly stones, and it's like heavenly sandpaper. And you start to get smoother and smoother and smoother, don't you? You start to get softer, and you start to be able to put up with one another, okay? It's more than put up. Now we love one another. Now we grow together. But it's not always easy, and especially in the home. We started uh, in chapter 5, verse 18. He says, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the reality of this decision that you and I have to make on a daily basis to be Spirit-led is demonstrated by our love for one another. The practice of edifying one another. Joining together just as we, we just did and praising God in song. Amen. Exalting the Lord and giving Him thanksgiving. That's a Spirit-filled life. Amen. Another important aspect of Spirit-controlled life is the principle of mutual submission among believers. We saw in chapter 5, verse 21, that we are to be submitted to one another in the fear of the Lord. And that verse set the tone for yet another important illustration, one of the most important relationships we have, and that between a husband and a wife. Now, bottom line is, whatever you take away from a marriage retreat or a, a, a teaching on marriage, the bottom line is that it's the husband's duty to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And likewise, it's the wife's duty to submit to her husband as to the Lord. And it all centers around a genuine, spirit-filled, word-inspired, obedient relationship to the Lord and with the Lord. So if either partner abandons those responsibilities, their God-given role, what happens? The relationship begins to crumble. And so we have to continually move forward in this. We have to continually restore our relationships, husbands and wives. Now this week, we will see the Spirit's control being illustrated in another family relationship. That of children and parents. Now those who have studied the writer, writings of the great reformer Martin Luther reference the name that he gave to this section of Ephesians. He refers to it as the hostafel, or house table, if you will. You know, the things that happen in your household, the, the 
place where, you know, you can't put on the mask, you can't put on the makeup, you can't comb your hair, right? You know, everybody's going to see you for who you are. And this applies to our Christian duty in the three areas that we've been talking about. First, marriage last week. This week, we're going to talk about children and parents. And then finally, the, uh, next week, we'll talk about slaves and masters, or in our modern day context, employers and employees. So let's read our passage. It's a short passage today. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you as our heavenly Father. And we know we need training. We need admonition from you. We need to be raised up. We need to be brought up spiritually. And Lord, we thank you that you're able to do that, more than able. That you're willing to mold us and shape us as your children, Lord God. And so we come before you and we just want to study. We want to learn how to be more useful for you. We want to learn how to be um, more centered under your will. We want to learn how to do life the way that you designed because we've, we've found many of us by our own experience when we choose to do life by our own understanding, it doesn't work out very well sometimes. In fact, sometimes it can be downright awful. And so Lord, we just ask that you would just, again, you've brought us together today. Thank you for doing that. Now give us ears to hear your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. You know, when you think about spirit-filled, rarely do you t break it up into like spirit-filled children. Hardly do you ever hear a conversation, those spirit-filled children. <laughs> but that's what we're talking about. You know, the instruction that's going out right now is for spirit-filled children. Why? Because children, young, young and old children, you have a responsibility. If you're a Christian, you have a responsibility before the Lord. And it's very simple. And today we're going to look at two reasons why children are called to obey and honor their parents. One reason is natural law. It's the right thing to do. And the second reason is divine law. It's God's commandment. It's that simple. We start with verse 1, which is natural law. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now that word obey, you know, uh, like submit from last week, it can be a trigger word. It can be an abusive word if it's not used properly, which we don't intend to do, and God didn't intend to do. And when the Bible was translated and written in Greek, the word obey, it, it mean, it's the word hupakuo, hupakuo, meaning hearing and obeying. Now notice one thing that Paul expected the children to hear his letter, whether that's in the local congregation as we have here today, now, we've got a lot of our kids in kids' church, but we've got older children and young adults here with us too. And so again, as I said, this message is from Paul the Apostle through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to you. But parents, we need to pay close attention to what God's saying. Children, the word is technon, and it really it can be used as simply a daughter or a son. So in, in a very general sense, the word technon can be used for a child of God. Anybody who is a child of, everybody's a child of somebody natural parents, but you're also, as a Christian, you're a child of God. And he says, so obey. 
Now, the difference between hupakuo, obey, and last week's word, hupatasso, submit, is that hupakuo is a very much stronger expression, okay? Why is that? Why is it a stronger expression than wives submit to your husbands? The reason is because the wife, to be subject to her husband, she does it on a voluntary basis. No husband uh, has the, first of all, the ability or the right to force submission on his wife. A wife is submitting to her husband as to the Lord because she has devoted her life to Jesus Christ. So this is, again, for Christians, if you're not a Christian and you're hearing this message, you know, this is probably blasphemy to your ears. But for a Christian, it's super important. But when we say hupakuo, obey, it's got a stronger context to it. It's more implicit. It's more absolute, if you will. Now, when I grew up, uh, I spent a part of my youth under my grandfather's house. My grandfather, uh, you know, had a house, and we lived up in Massachusetts, and I had my, my mom and my dad and my three brothers, and I had an aunt and uh, four of my cousins, and we all lived under one roof for a period, a very short period of time. And oftentimes, when, when my grandfather, they would go to Florida half a year in the, in the, in the wintertime, but they'd come back in the summer. And oftentimes, uh, so we could drive him crazy and send him back to Florida in the winter. But, uh, uh, but oftentimes, no, I, I want to say this respectfully, when obedience was questioned with a kind of a whiny, why? Why, why do I have to do that? You know, the why thing? Uh, he, he would chide us. My grandfather was sort of a, a somewhat of a, a dry comedian. And uh, he would chide us with his own question. He's, you know, why are you being a why guy? You know, instead of a wise guy, are you a why guy? Why you got to be a why guy? You know, he'd play the game with us. But, you know, it, what we're really talking about here is children... When we say obey your parents, what we're really saying, what Paul is really saying, what the word truly means is listen. You know, when parents get frustrated and you kid, you guys know this, okay? What's one of the most frequent things they say, often maybe with an elevated volume, okay? No, they won't say why. They will say, listen to me <laughs> out of frustration. And it's because, kids, you're not listening. And maybe you think, uh, and parents realize this, because remember, us parents, we were once kids. <laughs> okay, we never want to forget that. And listening isn't simply hearing words go in one ear and out the other. One writer put it this way. The, the Greek word translated to obey is very helpful. Why? Because it comes from two words, under and to listen. So that it literally means to listen under. The idea is to listen with the intent to understand and to do it. Now, you maybe understand a little bit better why parents say, listen to me. And maybe parents, you'll come up with a new expression. Listen under to me. But I don't, I don't think so. I like what Pastor John Corson says. He describes the word hupakeo as to when a soldier is about to go into battle and therefore he needs to listen very carefully to the instructions of his commander in order to prevent being in the wrong place at the wrong time, which can cost him his life. 
The scriptural command to obey one's parents doesn't call for a yeah, yeah, yeah kind of a response. No, it calls for one to obey them as if your life depended on it. It's football season. I don't need to tell you that. I won't talk about what happened last night, so we won't go any further with that particular topic. But somebody said, play a G chord, a G flat this morning. I said, why? Because the Giants lost? He actually said D flat, but I took it as G flat, so. But think about those football quarterbacks. When you notice what's going on, if you watch a game today, notice how when the game is really on the line and all the time, Everybody, when they huddle up, what are these players doing? They're listening to what that quarterback has to say. Because every single part of that team must do their job in order to be successful. And so they're listening with the intent to understand and to do. And that's to smash the other players off the field. Catch that pass. Whatever it has to happen. But notice he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. Now, in one sense, this is almost like a limitation, if you will, uh, or an exception, meaning that obedience is not absolute when the parent tries to force behavior that's not God-honoring or sinful, you know, to get you to write a bad check or to steal or to lie. But in another sense, apart from this immoral submission, Obedience is a duty commanded by God, and it's well-pleasing to God. So, kids, young adults, you want to be well-pleasing to God? Look at Colossians 3.20. Paul kind of expounds on that. He says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well and pleasing to the Lord. So you want to obey, uh, just as, the, as a wife is to submit to her husband, just as a husband is to lay his life down for his wife, you do it unto the Lord. You do it because the Lord is your example. You do it because you love the Lord. And you want to please him for all the wonderful things he's done for you. Amen. Amen. And so, he, he, then he goes and he says all this, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, it's just the right thing to do. It's your duty. Now, why is obedience right? Well, because of natural law. You know, sometimes people say, this is just the right thing to do, or it's just not the right thing to do. We often use the expression uh, when referring, you know, it's just the right thing to do or not the right thing to do, when we're talking about moral or ethical decisions that we're all faced with. Or when something goes against nature, we'll say that that's just not right. We have plenty of cultural examples of things that are not right. Um... Uh, Human sexuality, uh, you know, all the things that are happening within that area, that confu confused area, and a lot of the things that are happening outside of marriage, outside of what God designed for that activity, is just not right. It's just not right in a natural sense. Abortion, the, the taking of uh, children who are human beings in the womb of a mother yet unborn and killing them for convenience, that's just not right. Amen. It's not right. Human trafficking, taking people and selling them for money to, to enslave them, is just not right. It goes against God's plan. 
And so God created order in the nature of things. And parents brought children into this world and they have more wisdom most of the time and knowledge than a child. And so for, therefore, it's right. It's right for children to obey their children, their children, their parents. I told you things were weird. Even animals obey their parents. When you look at nature, you see it. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, when a person becomes a Christian, he is not released from the normal obligations of life. If anything, his faith in Christ ought to make him a better child in the home. So I just want to encourage you kids, children, you know, God's called you to a, a place. He's got a purpose for your life. You say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, and it's, it's easy for me to kind of say, well, you just need to obey your parents. But that's not the right way to say it, and that's not the right way to receive it. Obedience to your parents should be because I love the Lord, and I want to please him. The second reason why parents, excuse me, children are to obey their parents is what you would call divine law. And why? Because in verse 2, Paul goes straight to the Old Testament and he, and he quotes, he says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now Paul's quoting the fifth commandment, which you'll see in Deuteronomy 5.16 or Exodus 20.12. Uh, he says, Honor your father and mother. Now to honor... You know, we talked about obey, but to honor is to have honor and to revere and to show respect and love. So the second reason is just as simple as the first reason. Children are to obey and honor their parents because God commands it. You don't really need to have a whole lot of conversation about it. The natural law reason that we spoke of for it is right is and has been a universal concept, by the way, among all cultures and societies, even those apart from God, ancient cultures. The Christian worldview connects this reason with divine instructions, though. That's where the difference comes in. We have divine instructions. We've already made a good case, I think, for it being right for obedience. But now we have the divine instruction of God to bring it on. And, and notice, too, it actually undermines, when you bring God into the picture, it undermines the prevailing culture. By that I mean, he's saying, look, uh, you know, in the society that Paul, this is something we need to understand, the context, in the, in the society that Paul lived in and, and the people he wrote this letter to, this Greco-Roman society, children were required by law to submit to the authority of their parents. No question whatsoever. There wasn't a talk so much about what we hear today, child protection services, none of that kind of stuff happened. They're required to obey their parents, whether they're good parents or bad. But the Christian worldview undermines it because Paul's instruction, he's basing it on the principle we talked about, and that is mutual submission in chapter 5, verse 21. So he expects children to be treated with respect by their parents. So it's not just a one-way street. <coughs> The old adage, do as I say and not as I do, as we're going to see when we get to verse 4, is cause for provoking your children to wrath. But back to this uh, reason, honor your father and mother, he says, which is the first commandment with promised. Now we've, we've learned as Christians that 
you know, we don't come under the law. We, we've, you know, Jesus set us free from the curse and the bondage of the law. But since we have the Holy Spirit within us, don't think we can just not take into account the truth of God's wisdom through the law. And that we don't have to obey things like not stealing and lying and committing adultery. That's, I mean, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. And we should heed his promptings to recognize that God's holiness is shown through the law and want to obey it. And so he says, it's a promise. Now, what is this word promise? Well, what, it's, it's simply what it says. It's promised good or blessing. Now, should this promise be a motivation for obedience? Yes, but it's not the main reason. You know, it's not something, hey, I'm going to get something out of this for being obedient to the Father. The main motivation is children are to obey their parents because it's right and God commands it. I've got a few scriptures here. I don't have, we don't have slides for uh, the four that I'm going to reference, but, except for one, and I'll call it out. But we see examples of the importance of obedience in the Bible, all throughout the Bible. Uh, the Israelites to God, they were, God said through Samuel the prophet, to obey is better than sacrifice. Deuteronomy 8.20, As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so shall you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Well, God takes it very seriously. Jesus into the Father. Now, Jesus is our example. And Jesus was obedient to the Father. In John 5.30, he says, I can of myself do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And today, uh, a passage that we are talking directly, uh, children to parents. If you want to see Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, you can read it for yourself just how seriously God was about obedience. He said, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother... Remember, listen and obey. Listen and understand with the intent to do something. Then they, when they have chastened them and will not heed them, verse 19, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city, to the gate of his city. And they shall say to the older, elders of his city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and he will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of this city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So, you know, God takes obedience seriously. Uh, I, I would not be alive today if that was the law of the land when I was growing up. And I'm serious about that. And I don't say that to boast in any stretch. When I, when I study these passages, especially when I see how serious God is about obedience, it brings a lot of shame to my heart because of how I was as a child, as, a, as an adult, or as a young adult. I thought I was the smartest person on earth. My parents didn't know anything. And I rebelled, I, not the worst in the world, but I was a seriously rebellious young man for a chunk of my teenage years. And it cost me my relationships with my parents family and my father and my mother. It really harmed that for all of life. And we've worked through the years to try and make it better, but I'm going to tell you, kids, 
Don't rebel against you. Don't rebel, especially don't go hard against your parents. So what is the promise we're talking about? Let's get to the good part. What is the promise? Verse 3, that it may be well with you. Ah, okay, I like well. Do you like well? We like well. And you may live long on the earth. Oh, I like that even better. I like well, and I like to live long on the earth. Praise God. That you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now, Paul's appropriating the promise God gave him or gave to the Israelites when he, when he quotes from Deuteronomy 5.16. They said to honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord is going to give you. And Paul replaces in the land which the Lord is going to give you because it was specific at the time to the Israelites. And he brings forth an Old Testament principle into the New Testament for you and I today. And he says that you may live long on the earth. Now, we need to define this, though. We, we, we need to, to kind of get a little bit farther into this. First of all, define it may be well. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean that life is going to be a bowl of cherries. It means, though, that as you go on in life, obedience to the instructions and warnings from your parents can help you, help you avoid dangerous things that could threaten and even shorten your life. Don't play with matches. Buckle your seatbelt, wear a helmet. You need to maintain proper diet and exercise. Those are just a simple, you know, some of the main things that parents will raise their kids to understand and, and enforce upon them. And I could go on and on. But how many times, how many times, brothers and sisters, have you seen the consequences of disobedience? And they play out. You know, basic, basic uh, lack of manners or a dysfunctional behavior patterns, or even worse, drug addiction and crime, incarceration. You know, that slow spiral downhill from disobedience on the part of a child, even from for parents who are trying their best to do their best, to be godly parents, can really play out. And it's very apparent in society. And it, it really comes out in a public place, especially with kids. And this is one of the symptoms that God gives people over when they really continue to spiral downhill. Romans 1.30, I have no slide for that. He says you'll become, God says he gives them over to their sin. They become backbiters, haters of God. They become violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents. He puts it right on that same level, that disobedience. So it may be well, it may not be perfect in your life. Life will not be a bowl of cherries, but by and large, it's, it's almost like common sense. If you heed the instruction of your parents, you know, a lot of bad things can be prevented from happening to you. And I spoke a little bit about the grace of God, and you guys all have that. That's supernatural, because when something bad should have happened to you, it didn't. Many times in your life. Now define live long. Now, we know that not all saints live long lives. We know that. The, the missionary Jim Elliott died at the hands of the Alca Indians in Ecuador at the age of 28. Keith Green, the famous Christian songwriter, he died in a plane crash at the age of 28. So not all children live to be adults. But it doesn't take away the practical reasons for listening to your parents. 
The Bible's very clear. Proverbs 4.10 says, Hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Another one, Proverb 30.17, it says, The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and young eagles will eat it. Now those young eagles ate the giants last night. I must say, they took good care of them. But, uh, Kids, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be stuck in the raven with the, like, I don't want to be a part of the birds movie and get my eyeballs plucked out because I haven't been taking, you know, respecting and honoring my parents. Is this a, is this a threat, you say, you know, in your, in your disobedient sense? Was well, this a threat from God? No, but it's a promise. It's a promise. If a child chooses to live a life of rebellion, the chances of having a short, miserable life go way up. They go way up. Rebellion starts with an attitude. One writer said this way, if you're a Christian, we are not to be like the little boy who misbehaved and was told by his teacher to sit in the corner, which he did with grudging obedience, all the while saying to himself, I'm sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside. Do we ever outgrow obedience to parents? Sure. When we leave the home for marriage or to pursue an adult life outside of our parents' home, but we never outgrow the call to honor, love, and to respect our parents. Now, for those of us who have somehow managed to beat the odds, by not dying young and miserable? I hope it's because you realize and recognize that it's the grace of God that has kept you and I. Amen? Amen. Well, enough on those spirit-filled children. We hope that they all are and continue to be. But how about spirit-filled parents? Spirit-filled parents. He's breaking it down and saying, okay, parents. He says, and you fathers, verse 4, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And why is Paul addressing the fathers? Well, one reason was because in Paul's day, as I said earlier, the father had supreme authority over the family. When a baby was born into a Roman family, writes one, for example, when a baby was born, it was brought out and laid before the father. If he picked it up, it meant he was accepting that baby into the home. But if he did not pick up that child, it meant that that child was rejected by its own father. It could be sold, given away, or even killed by exposure. No doubt a father's love would overcome such monstrous acts most of the time. But these practices were legal in that day. Now think about where we're at. I'm not going to go too far with this, except to say that we are going to have another abortion clinic prayer march, uh, march walk on March the 18th, Saturday the 18th. But think about, you know, what was legal in that day and what's still legal in our day. And let that sink in a little bit. Now, even though this example of supreme authority is obviously wrong, 
The natural influence of a father is very, very powerful. And it's going to be for good or for bad. The importance of a dad's presence in the home cannot be overstated. Our culture and society continues to show the tragic results with respect to violence, drugs, and every crime you can think of. And like Paul said, they make up new crimes every day. Many suggest that Paul is primarily addressing the fathers as well, and a second reason why he's primarily addressing the fathers is because moms tend to nurture and protect their children in a very natural sense. Mama bear. <laughs> mama bear says, don't mess with my kids. We know about that. I'm not a mama, but I, can, I have witnessed mama bear in action, so I know. She's real. She's a real bear. <laughs> so... <laughs> And so Paul is addressing the fathers not only for the context of the society, the, you know, the terrible things that could be done, the overbearing power for the father, given to a father in that society, but also to remind us as Christians that father is called to be the spiritual leader in his home. And he will actually give an account, fathers, husbands, you will actually stand before the Lord and give an account for how you led your family. Romans 14, 12, it says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And there's many other passages that support that. So some things, if you're taking notes, that fathers and parents too, and mom and dads as well. First of all, do not provoke. You must not provoke. Now, provoke means to exasperate. You're driving, you're driving them crazy. You're exasperating them. But you're exasperating them to anger and defiance. It's expressed by sort of a resentment and an irritation. But not only that, but to be very discouraged. A child can be very discouraged when their father or mother provokes them. Again, Colossians 3.21, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That's to be disheartened, to have a broken spirit. What are some of the examples of provoking? How about always blaming and finding fault with your kids and never praising them? You know, you have to, you have to watch that. How about showing favoritism? How about being a bully and sarcastically picking on your kids? That's a bad habit. That's a bad habit of mine. Without being sensitive to what they consider to be important. You know, you may think it's all jolly and funny being a goofy dad, but a lot of times that can really bother your children. That can provoke them to anger towards you. And so, dads, we need to be sensitive to that. Now, grandparents, you don't have to worry about that. But dads, <laughs> dads you have to do that. Another thing is being inconsistent or unfair in discipline. Uh, that'll get you in trouble in a lot of ways. Not only with the kids, but with mama bear. Uh, and, and you'll have uh, a conflict going on, you know, in two directions. Guys, you know, you ever feel like, you, you know, the conflict is going, it's like waging all around you, <laughs> you know, from the younger. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Well, we bring it upon ourselves oftentimes. It's because we're provoking and we're not being the person, the man, the husband and the father that God calls us to be. 
The next thing is not to not provoke, but the next thing is what a father must do is he must nurture his children and he must discipline. It says, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, to bring them up means to nourish to maturity. This speaks of being kind and gentle with our kids. You know, the macho, manly concept is not true fatherhood. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is known by us as being full of compassion. He's known as being gracious, long-suffering, and thankfully abundant in mercy and truth. That's who our Heavenly Father is, and if we're going to imitate Him, then that's who we need to try to be. Now, last week, we learned of the husband's responsibility to nourish his wife in the Lord with love. Verse 29, we have an instruction here to do the same thing with our children. A good provider is more than meeting your family's physical needs. Most men, I know a lot of men that would say, well, I did my job. I worked every single day. I worked my, you know, I worked to the bone. I provided for the family. Now you guys take care of it. Wife, you do this, and I'm just going to go play video games. You guys think that's funny. That's a reality. And that be, now I'm not saying you can't have personal time or habits, or ha hobbies, habits, hobbies. They can be bad. But just providing for your kids and then just kind of saying, hey, I did my part. Now you do your part. That's not parenting. And I'm not saying this is somebody who ever arrived there, by the way. We're all being worked on. We're all having to learn God's ways all the time. So a good provider is more than meeting your family's physical needs. They need to be bringing them up spiritually and emotionally. So he must not provoke, he must nurture his children, he must discipline and training. Paideia, this means to nurture. This means the kind of discipline that shapes character. Now society says, no, you cannot spank your children, you can't lay a hand on them. But Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. So despite what mo some modern uh, philosophers or educators might say, you know, every child is born into this world, they come prepackaged with a sinful tendency, and it's the parents' duty to train and discipline them. Ask a public school teacher or a Sunday school teacher what happens in his or her classroom when undisciplined kids come to school. Parents, you have to do the work. Don't just issue empty threats. Follow through. So not provoking... Nurturing, discipline, and instruct and encourage. That's the word admonition. This is the exhortation through the use of words. Speaking to your kids. Not just giving them instructions and saying, listen to me. You listen to them. You sit with them and you have conversation with them. You spend time with them. Now often, instruction or admonition means to confront and that's another important time spent. But we can fail miserably at this by idolizing our kids and want them to be our friends at the expense of loving confrontation. Why? Because we want them to like us. Now I can tell you, we're all, I was guilty of that. 
And there does come a time when you, your relationship with your kids, and many of you know this, as they grow into be adults, yes, they still honor you, but you are then much more like friends. And it can be a wonderful time to hang out and do things that are great and fun. Because, you know, you're, you're dealing them on, on their adult level now. And it's a wonderful time. But the high priest Eli... In 1 Samuel 13, we have kind of a negative example of what it's like to want our kids to like us. 1 Samuel 3, 11 through 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. So we have this training and admonition we see at the end of this verse. Training and admonition of the Lord. Not only is God commanding you as parents and fathers but he stands by you. He stands behind you in his support for you. So don't let the culture come into your house and into your world and try to go sidestep God's directives. Don't shrink from your responsibility. But you say, well, okay, I, I understand. I, I believe that's a true principle, but how do I do it? Do we have any biblical instruction that can maybe help us to actually carry this out? And I would direct your attention, if you would, maybe turn your Bibles over to Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 21. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 through 21. I'll begin to read. It says, Therefore, you lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. So first of all, you need to know the ways of the Lord. Before you can teach them through your children, you yourself need to know the ways of the Lord. You need to be in your Bible. You need to study God's word and then teach it to your kids. You also need to make the ways of the Lord a habit and a practice in your daily life. You know, it's one thing to teach biblical principles to your children. But, it's, you know, when you say, you know, don't do as I do, but only do as I say, that just leads to exasperation. And when are you to do this? It says here very clearly, when you're sitting in your home, when you're present in the home, and you're not always away from your home, always pushing all the responsibilities on your spouse. So when you're sitting in your home, when you're out for a walk, when you're doing things with your children, when you're, when you're out fellowshipping and doing even fun things, you teach them the ways of the Lord. And when you go to bed at night, and many of you know that nighttime prayer and storytelling, how important that is in raising your children. Children who are not taught to obey their parents are not likely to obey God. Somebody wrote this uh, historical. We, we talk a lot about the, the time in 1962 when the Supreme Court uh, came down with a ruling 
uh, taking prayer out of schools. We've referred to that. Uh, Warren Wiersbe reminded uh, me of this um, situation that was taking place in America at the time. It was before the digital age and you had the cartoonists and the, and the you know, cartoons and TV and cartoonists. There was a famous cartoonist named uh, Herbert Block. And he writes this, he says, when the Supreme Court handed down its ruling against required prayer in the public schools, the famous editorial cartoonist uh, Herbert Block, or Herb Block, published a cartoon in a Washington Post showing an angry father waving his newspaper at the family and shouting, what do they expect us to do? Listen to our kids pray at home now? The answer is yes. Home is the place where the children ought to learn about the Lord and the Christian life. And it's time, as he wrote, the Christian parents stop passing the buck. Stop passing the buck to Sunday school teachers and Christian day school teachers. Start nurturing your children. Amen? Amen. And we have, as we get ready to close today, we have a, a, a great example from Jesus. You know, the Bible doesn't say much about Jesus uh, in his earliest days, of course, very little. It's mainly about his, his ministry as an adult. But in Luke 2, 49 through 52, you see that he said to them, why do you seek me? Do you not know? This is when his parents were confronting him he was, as a youngster. He says, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And look, he was subject to them. He submitted to his parents. Now, this is the Son of God. This is God himself. This is God in the flesh. He subject to himself, and his mother kept all these things in her heart. But notice in verse 52, what happened? Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with God and men. So even our Lord and Savior had to grow under the instruction of his parents. So kids, if, Jesus, if it's good enough for Jesus to obey his earthly parents, it's good enough for you. Amen. Now, why do we call ourselves a local fellowship of believers? And we know that because God has ordained his church to represent him to the world. Why do we have an annual marriage retreat that's coming up? Why do we seek to invest in the lives of our kids and our youth group? Because God ordained marriage and family. And so, my exhortation to all of us today, but especially to parents and young adults that are here present, do the right thing. Honor and obey your parents because you desire and honor to, to honor God himself. And parents, raise your kids with solid discipline, clear verbal instruction, and with nourishing and tender hearts. Why? Because we all live to serve our King. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.